guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing wonderful for the millionth <laughs> time that we have tried to record this episode. I don't know what is going on. We so rarely have like audio problems yeah. or technical issues. So I really am thankful for that. But then when we do have stuff that goes wrong, we're just like, what, what do we do? We don't know what to do. So yeah, so we've had a little trouble getting this episode recorded and that has led us to be recording on Mother's Day, but I'm totally fine with it because I can't think of a better person that I would rather spend my Mother's Day evening with than you, Melissa, one of my favorite mothers in the entire world. Wow, you are really losing it after recording four times. We've <laughs> run out of intros and Mandy's <laughs> Mandy's doing this now. I agree. This is a nice, I've had a really nice Mother's Day and this is a nice way to end it uh, talking to you. This is a, this is a good day. Yes. And we hope all the moms out there had a great Mother's Day yes. as well. It was very hot here in Florida. We, me and Melissa joked that we were not going to mention the weather, but we've had you just four different you intros. Can't get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have left. <laughs> yeah. So it was great. It was a great weekend and very hot. So yeah. that is all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> right into the story, Mandy. Here we go. Here we go. So this week's story is pretty messy, to put it bluntly. It is somewhat of a rags to riches tale, but there's no happy ending and the details of the story are just really tragic. The case made headlines in the fall of 2000 and captured the attention of people everywhere. And that's because the crime was committed by a woman who had previously been very close to a member of British royalty, which is always the kind of detail in a story that shakes things up and makes it that much more captivating. So I don't know about you, Melissa, but when I think about royalty, I think very specific things, very stereotypical things, I'm sure, that probably aren't even true. Um, yeah. <laughs> like they just have this amazing life and really everything is handed to them on a silver platter. They don't have to do anything for themselves. Somebody else takes care of all the details of their lives. And it sounds lovely personally, because I feel like I try to manage so many things day to day. And sometimes I think it would be nice to have a personal... yeah assistant or personal organizer. <laughs> Meghan Markle and Princess Diana might disagree with you slightly, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. According to <laughs> movies, that's what it looks like, right? That somebody just does everything for you. It's great. You can order ice cream in the middle of the night and it's just a wonderful life. Yeah. So how many times have you personally thought that it would be so nice to have a personal makeup artist or a fashion expert to just make you look put together every single day. I know I think of that all the time. I'm like, wow, that would be really nice if I didn't even have to think about what I was going to wear or how I was going to do anything. Every time I pass a mirror, I think that, yeah. <laughs> like, wow, I wish somebody could fix this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. But when you're royalty, that kind of thing is just normal. And like I said, I'll be the first to admit that I don't have the first clue about royalty or the life of royals. And I don't really even know the basics of the hierarchy of the royal families. But I do know, at least when I hear terms like duchess, we're talking about somebody in the royal family. And in this week's episode, we are talking about the Duchess of York, also known as Sarah Ferguson or Fergie. She's known as Fergie, but not Fergie Fergie, not Fergie not Ferg. Fergalicious. Yeah, not Fergalicious. So that that gets a little confusing because when you hear Fergie, I, I feel bad to say this because the poor Duchess of York, like I don't think of her when I hear the word Fergie. I think of Fergie Fergie, but that's not who we're talking about today. So now I've probably confused everyone even further. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the Duchess of York was a member of the extended royal family, and she was once heavily involved with a woman who later became famous for murder. This woman, Jane Andrews, worked for the Duchess as her personal dresser for years. But despite working for royalty, Jane's own personal life and upbringing were anything but royal. Jane Andrews was 21 years old when she first began working for Sarah Ferguson in the summer of 1988. Although Jane had no real background in this type of work, she decided to answer an ad she saw in the Lady magazine. The ad was for a personal dresser, someone who picks your clothes and your accessories, sort of like a personal stylist. When Jane responded to the ad, though, she had no idea this was for the Duchess, but she got the job and she immediately hit it off with Fergie. Jane really loved working with the Duchess. She got to travel the world with her, stay in fancy hotels, and she even got to interact with Princess Diana and other royals. This was quite a fun life for Jane, who had grown up very poor and with really a tumultuous home life. Jane Dawn Elizabeth Andrews was born April 1st, 1967 in Lincolnshire, England. Her parents, David and June, had two older boys before Jane came along. Her father was a builder, but he struggled to maintain full-time work. Her mom was a social worker and a teacher. The family was incredibly poor, and when Jane was just eight years old, her parents sold their house and moved into a smaller townhouse that only had an outside toilet. There was no indoor plumbing. Jane's parents were constantly yelling and fighting, but they told the kids, always keep it to yourselves. Like, family problems, just stay in the family. As a teenager, Jane struggled even more. She suffered from depression, anxiety, and panic attacks, and she eventually developed an eating disorder. At the age of 15, she became sexually active. She really longed for love and believed that boys would leave her if she didn't sleep with them. By her own admission, she, quote, allowed men to do anything they wanted, end quote. Jane also struggled with truancy, and she missed a lot of school. When her mom found out about all the school she missed, Jane actually overdosed on pills. Her mom actually found her on her bed going in and out of consciousness after this, but due to this mentality of everything staying in the family, Jane was not taken to the hospital. After this, Jane continued to skip school and her grades continued to decline. She eventually dropped out and she enrolled in the local tech school to study fashion. She got a job working at Marks and Spencer, which was a clothing store, but life really continued to throw Jane curveballs. When she was just 17 years old, she found out she was pregnant. She came to the decision to terminate the pregnancy, which was very traumatic for Jane. When Jane was 21 is when she answered the ad for a personal dresser and began working for the Duchess of York. As we said before, this went very well for a while. Jane and Fergie actually got along great, and they started to become close as friends. About a year after taking the personal dresser job, Jane met a man named Christopher Dunn Butler. He was 21 years older than her, and he worked as an IBM executive. Within just three months of meeting Jane, he had already proposed to her, and they got married in 1990, but after a few years, they were no longer intimate with each other, and they were really just friends, and they were fine with that. Jane was even having other flings by this point, but she did later say that she felt guilty about it, but as I said before, she and Christopher were not really on that romantic level at that point. After they split up, Jane did become depressed, and she started getting treatment for her depression. At some point, and we're not really sure what year, the Duchess organized a charity function and Jane attended it, and it was there that she met a man named Dimitri Horn. He was a Greek shipping tycoon, and Jane took a real liking to him, and the feeling was mutual. The two of them fell in love. 
At this point, Jane had been working for the Duchess for quite some time, maybe nine or ten years. And the only time they had ever had any animosity between them was back in 1995 when 250,000 pounds worth of jewelry was stolen from the Duchess's suitcase while Jane was supposed to be keeping an eye on it, which is something I feel so like, oh my gosh, that gives me anxiety. I, right? I would never forgive myself if I was responsible or I was supposed to be responsible for something like that. Like somebody's jewelry got stolen or anything of someone else's, like you can steal my stuff or whatever. And then, I, you know, right. I'll I'm be fine. mad at myself, but like, oh my gosh, I would just forever feel so guilty if that happened to me when somebody I've had you know at restaurants or something somebody will go to the bathroom and they're like do you mind just watching my you know whatever by purse and I'm like no please try to get with you don't do this with me (laughs) I'm not gonna fight anybody I'm so scared what if what if something's stolen and I didn't look and now you think I've stolen it this is too much pressure for me (laughs) seriously yeah so they were able to move past the situation and they continued to be close as friends and confidants and of course Jane continued to work for the Duchess after that During this time, in the mid to late 90s, the Duchess started having some marital problems of her own. Fergie started letting go some of her staff, and Jane ended up being one of the last remaining servants, and she took on even more responsibilities than just dressing the Duchess. In the fall of 1997, Fergie told Jane, quote, I'll never get rid of you. You're with me for life. But then, in December of 1997, which was just a few weeks later, Jane was suddenly and unexpectedly let go from her position as a servant of the Duchess. And she was told that she was being let go due to budget constraints. But there was other rumors and some papers that insinuate that it was the jewelry theft back in 1995, which seems a little weird because that was like so many years earlier Yeah, or other, you know, other things suggested that maybe she was let go because one of the admirers of the Duchess said that he was interested in Jane instead. So I, I don't think that's the case that's either. Awkward. Yeah. So the palace officially says that Jane was let go because of the budget constraints. So after she lost her job as Fergie's personal dresser, Jane once again became depressed. It was something she struggled with throughout her life. And this time she lost a lot of weight and had to see a doctor. She was really struggling with these feelings of betrayal because when she was let go from her position, the Duchess actually did not even tell Jane in person, you know, that she was being Mm -hmm. let go or explain why to her. And as I said, they had been together as friends and, you know, in a in a professional capacity, but also as friends for like 10 years. So that yeah. would really sting a little bit, you know, to not only be let go from your job, but then to also feel like what happened to our friendship? You know, I thought we were close. And so this was really weighing on Jane and she just felt really terrible about it. Yeah. Jane struggled for months, but then in August of 1998, she met a very handsome man who sparked her interest named Thomas Cressman. He was six and a half years older than her, but they really enjoyed each other's company. In November of that year, they actually moved in together. This relationship was really different than others that Jane had been in. Thomas was no ordinary guy from an ordinary background. Thomas was born October 22, 1960, to his millionaire parents, Harry and Barbara. They had actually gotten rich off of owning the largest chain of four dealerships in Europe, and Harry had also been the director of Aston Villa Football Club, have to admit, didn't know Fords were a thing in Europe, which I know sounds very <laughs> stupid, but doesn't it just seem like Europe, you can do better than what we're doing yeah. over here? Yeah. Well, because Ford Nothing seems wrong definitely with Fords. very American. Yeah. It feels very. like a very American thing. So I I was a little shocked myself. <laughs> Seeing an F-150 driving on the left side of the road would just freak me out. <laughs> <laughs> that just doesn't sound right. I know. No. <laughs> 
So Harry and Barbara eventually divorced, but Thomas was very close to his mother. And he even said that she was the only woman he was, quote, completely comfortable with. Thomas had a love of cars and he owned eight cars himself, but he also owned a company that sold car covers for fancy, expensive cars and had a partnership in car polish with a former Formula One driver. So these endeavors made Thomas rich, extremely rich, just like his parents were. So right off the bat, Thomas and Jane had their differences. Jane did not grow up in the lap of luxury like Thomas had, but she did have years of experience living with the royals. Some sources suggest that Jane was desperate to somehow get back into that high life after she had been let go from the Duchess, and that's why she was clinging on to this idea of this relationship with Thomas. She thought he'd be able to provide her that luxurious life that she missed. The relationship between Jane and Thomas had its ups and downs. The couple had messy fights. During their relationship and regular conversations, Jane revealed a lot about the Duchess more than she should have revealed to Thomas. So when things got tough between the two of them, Thomas would threaten to go to the media with this sensitive information. Yikes, that would be terrifying. It would be so scary. And they're notoriously like the royals. Of anybody keeping it in the family, that's the royals. That's what I do know about the royals. They want everything quiet. But like, this is why I could never take a job in a position like that because I, it's not that I'm like, it's not that I'm a blabbermouth, but if I know something that like I'm not supposed to know or, you know, right. you have to have that one person that you can be you like, oh have my one. gosh, I know this crazy thing. And like, you have to have one person you can trust that's not going to turn around and be like, oh yeah, they told me all about right. this. So I can see how like you'd be like, oh my gosh, yeah. please don't do that. Like I trusted you. I told you that in in trust, you know, that you weren't going to backstab me that way. Right. So yeah, that would be very, I can see how that would upset her for him for to sure. threaten something like that. I feel like in marriage, though, like if you tell me something, you're basically for the most part, there are some things that are much more sensitive that I wouldn't just tell my husband. But for the most part, if you tell me something like I feel like it's an assumption you're telling the spouse that like if I tell you something, I figure you're telling your husband. I know that's the relationship, right? You just share with the other person. So I don't know. There's certain things that I would never share or anything, but I like to I'm like, okay, can I tell my husband? Because I really need to tell somebody this. (laughs) So Jane also made threats to Thomas, saying she would tell his business partners and his parents about his dirty habits. A friend of the couple described their relationship as being a bit hostile. She said that Jane was always very sweet, shy, and just lovely. She said Jane reminded her of a delicate bird and that she was, quote, terribly beautiful with a much-admired figure, end quote, and that she could date any man she wanted to, but she genuinely fell in love with Thomas. This friend said, however, the feelings weren't mutual. Thomas often talked over Jane and was oftentimes humiliating towards her. According to Jane, there was also abuse in the relationship. In the winter of 1998, Thomas was dancing with Jane so aggressively and holding her hand when he suddenly lets go and Jane ends up falling and breaking her wrist. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Thomas then insisted that she move in with him so that he could watch over her. And Jane really wanted things to work out between the two of them, so she moved in with him, but she quickly learned that Thomas had sort of a Jekyll and Hyde personality. Jane alleges that Thomas's mood would change at the drop of a hat. She claims that he had a wooden brush that he would hit her with while calling her weak and saying he just wanted to toughen her up. And we're going to get back into so much more of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. (laughs) 
We're excited to tell you about the new hit podcast, Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan. Do you believe in ghosts? How about Bigfoot? Do you think it's strange and fascinating that a four-year-old in Oklahoma could look at a black and white picture of a man from the 1930s and say, that was me before, and then provide actual verifiable details of the man's life? If so, Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan is about to be your new favorite podcast. Daisy is a Tony Award-winning actor, writer, and true crime fanatic, but she's also a skeptic. Each week, she looks at real stories of hauntings, disappearances, UFO encounters, the Bermuda Triangle, unsolved murders and disappearances, and anything else that feels just beyond what we can easily make sense of. Daisy is your guide into these stories, but she's also like, show me the receipts. Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan is one of the most popular new podcasts on the internet. So what are you waiting for? Find Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan wherever you get your podcasts. I'm always looking for ways to save a little time, especially in the evenings. My family's tired, I'm tired, and I just want to get something on the table quickly. Thanks to HelloFresh, though, a quick dinner can still be delicious. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, and for good reason. They have meals that are ready in 20 minutes or less, as well as lightning prep recipes and options for a quick breakfast or lunch that are perfect for those busy days. In real estate, it's all about location, location, location. But with dinner, it's all about variety, variety, variety. And HelloFresh can make that happen by having a huge variety of easy and delicious meal options for not only dinner, but for breakfast, lunch, and every snack and special treat in between. This week, my family and I tried the salmon in a creamy Dijon chive sauce with roasted potato wedges and lemony zucchini. It was an instant hit in my house, and HelloFresh amazed me once again with how much a meal can be elevated with a delicious sauce and yummy vegetables. My daughter and I made it in under 30 minutes, and we both felt like total pros in the kitchen. Thanks to their easy-to-follow recipe cards that include photos, we were able to easily move through the recipe with no issues. Go to HelloFresh.com Moms12 and use code Moms12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com Moms12 and use code Moms12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were talking about the ups and downs that Jane Andrews and her new husband, Thomas, were having. But more than just ups and downs, Jane says that there was actual abuse taking place and that Thomas was actually very cruel to her. In 1999, Jane confided in Thomas that she was sexually abused as a child. Thomas helped set up an appointment with a psychologist and a psychotherapist named Christine, and Jane had three sessions with Christine in April and May. During these sessions, she complained about her brother and said that from the time she was eight years old onward, it was her brother who was abusing her. And she said that there was also an adult that sexually abused her, but she did not name any people. When Jane's mom found out about the abuse, she pretty much refused to believe it. According to Jane, Um, Jane described her mom as being incredulous about it and just didn't really want to deal with it or acknowledge Mm. it. Jane also told her therapist that her husband, Thomas, was very abusive towards her and that he had admitted to her that he was calling sex workers. A few months later, Jane told a friend that she and Thomas were no longer sleeping together, but that she was still living in the house with him. In the fall of that year, Jane got a job at the famous London hotel, Claridge's. She was hired as a PR manager, but she didn't last very long in that position, and she was let go after just two months. She then started working at a jeweler. Things were tense at home between Jane and Thomas, and in December of 1999, she was actually admitted to the hospital after threatening to harm herself. And when she was in the hospital for this incident, she talked to the nurse there about the sexual abuse in her childhood. 
The following month, things got worse when Jane stumbled across some emails that Thomas exchanged with a woman named Deborah from the United States. Deborah was a woman that Thomas had met in Vegas while he was attending a conference for his job. And the emails that they had been exchanging back and forth were definitely X-rated emails. Even though Jane was barely interested in Thomas at this point, the discovery of these emails still caused further tension between them, probably because Thomas was just trashing Jane in these emails. Keep in mind, they're still married. They're not, you know, they're living together, but it's just a complicated situation. But he's writing this other woman and saying these like terrible things about Jane. Um, He described her to this other woman, Deborah, as being, quote, a pair of old slippers he cannot throw away, which is such a terrible like insult. Yeah. Uh, Just, oh my gosh, I would just be like, oh my gosh, that's so mean to say about somebody. So um, over the next several months, Even though they had, you know, there was all this tension between them over the next several months, things did kind of improve. And by the summer of 2000, things were really going a lot better. They actually started looking for a house together and they were kind of getting more serious again. People started referring to them as Mr. and Mrs. Cressman. And Thomas allegedly said that he liked the sound of that. Things were going so well that in September of 2000, the couple took a romantic vacation to France and Italy, and they even stopped to visit with Thomas's mom, who lived in France. Jane was really hopeful and excited on this trip because she believed that this was the trip where Thomas was going to finally propose to her, but he never did. This really upset Jane. And so on their final day in France, she declined to attend lunch with Thomas and his mom. And instead, she stayed behind and called her ex-husband, Christopher, so that she could vent about how upset she was. She had been keeping in touch with Christopher over the years after their split, which, as we mentioned before, was really amicable. They didn't have any ill will towards each other. So, you know, she would kind of call him up as a friend, you know, just to vent and talk to him over the years. So later on that evening, this is their last day in France, you know, after Thomas has returned and it's time for them to head to the airport, they do go back to the airport and get on the plane together and fly back to England. A lot happened the day after they returned home, and we're going to detail it as best as we can, but there are some gaps that are in this timeline that we really just don't know what happened, but we'll break it all down as much as we can. So on September 16th, the day after they returned from their vacation, Jane scheduled an appointment for her and Thomas to see a relationship counselor together. Thomas actually called back that same day and canceled the appointment. The couple must have been arguing because at 11.35 that morning, Thomas actually called the police. He said that he wanted them to intervene before someone, quote, got hurt. He said she would not calm down and that he wanted Jane to leave. Officers then encouraged Thomas to try and work out his domestic issues without involving police officers. One minute later, at 11.36, Jane called her ex-husband Christopher and claimed that Thomas was attacking her right that moment. A couple of hours go by, and at 1.54 p.m., Jane gathered up all the explicit emails she found from the woman named Deborah, and she faxed all those emails to Deborah's employer. At 2.40 p.m., Thomas called their mutual friend Lucinda, saying that Jane was threatening suicide. More time passes, and at 4.15 p.m., Jane calls her ex-husband again, and she apologized on this call, you know, saying, I shouldn't have involved you in the first place. At 5.15, she calls another friend and tells them that her relationship with Thomas is over and that she's discovered this affair that he's having with this woman online. Jane tells this friend that she was mad, but she doesn't mention that she and Thomas have been physically fighting. At around 6.30 that night, Thomas calls a friend of his own. He said that he and Jane had a really good vacation, 
But basically, once they got home, things just hit the fan. Jane was wanting to talk about where this relationship was headed. Thomas said he doesn't want to get married. He's having second thoughts about the entire relationship. And he said that Jane becomes so upset, she storms out and says she's going to kill herself. Thomas told his friend that he talked to Jane on the phone several times since she had taken off that night. This was the last time anyone would hear from Thomas. At some point between the night of September 16th and September 17th, a violent tragedy unfolded at Thomas and Jane's home. But it wasn't until Monday, the 18th, that the alarm was raised. Thomas's employees went to his office that morning to find that he was not there. And they found that his computer was still turned on and the alarm at the office was deactivated. Both of which were really strange because Thomas was always very careful about setting the alarm and shutting down his computer. So these strange things, plus Thomas's absence that day, led to a gruesome discovery. One of Thomas's employees went to check on him at his home and discovered that he had been beaten and stabbed to death in his bedroom at some point over the weekend. He was found dead on the bed with pillows over his head. Jane, of course, was nowhere to be found, but they did find some suicide notes that she left behind for her family. So the police were automatically thinking that, hey, she must be our suspect, and they started looking for her. Meanwhile, Jane had been in contact with her ex-husband, Christopher, several times that weekend. On the 17th, she called him at about 3.10 in the morning, and they talked for nine minutes. And she was really upset during this phone call and was telling Christopher that, you know, Thomas didn't want to get married to her. But that was really the extent of the conversation. And at 3.10 in the morning, I don't have any question about that because I'm sure he was trying to just get off the phone. Like, what are you doing calling me? I, I... You can just picture this whole scenario. This poor guy is probably like, what is going on here? Right. Um, But it was the next day that Thomas's body was actually discovered. The day after the murder was discovered, Jane contacted her ex-husband again through text messaging. She told him that she hadn't talked to Thomas in four days and said that she left his place around lunchtime on Saturday. And she also made a point to say that if anything happened to Thomas, she had nothing to do with it, which is Such a weird thing to say out of the blue and always instantly makes you look suspicious if you just come out and say that, like when no one was asking you, it's like, okay, like I didn't, I didn't think you were, you know, it's like, why would you say that? Yeah, exactly. And she also told Christopher that she wanted the police to know that Thomas had been blackmailed the year prior, I guess, trying to just set up this, you know, if they come looking, let's give them another direction to go in, you know, that isn't towards me. So it didn't take long for the police to catch up with Jane. On September 20th, she was located in the back of her car under a blanket and barely conscious after overdosing on pills. She spent two nights in the hospital and then she was taken to the police station to be interviewed. Immediately upon beginning this interview with police, Jane launched into a very long speech on her own accord, which is something that we've seen before when, you know, the police haven't even started their line of questioning and the person they're interviewing is already just talking and blabbing and telling the entire story. So that's what she was doing. She told them all about their trip to France and that the night they returned home, they argued and, you know, Thomas did agree to go to counseling with her. And according to Jane, that night, they actually reconciled their differences and they even slept together. Jane told the police that it wasn't until the next morning that things started going sour again when Thomas decided that he actually did not want to go to counseling and he canceled that appointment. Then Jane alleged something quite bizarre. She said that Thomas suggested that the two of them commit suicide together, and he even produced blades to do it with. 
It was shortly after that when Thomas called police and asked for help and was told that he should try sorting it out without law enforcement. Jane said she tried to leave, but in the argument, she brought up this online affair with Deborah, and she also tore up photos that they had taken on their recent vacation. Jane continues to go on. This is all voluntary. She's just telling this story to police. You know, they're not asking her anything. She's just telling them everything. So she goes on to say that they went to bed together. She said Thomas tried to have sex with her, but she refused. And for whatever reason, she felt she needed to go get a weapon to have it handy. She got out of bed and went downstairs to get a cricket bat, which she brought back up to the bedroom and left near the bed. When she got back into bed, Thomas started arguing with her again about the picture she had torn up earlier, and according to Jane, Thomas threatened to hurt her. So she got up and got a knife, thinking she would use that if he tried to do anything. She said to officers, quote, I didn't know what else to do, and I was just, I'm too ashamed to go and tell anybody what he kept doing to me, end quote. So according to Jane's version of events, she went to sleep, but was shortly awakened to Thomas hitting her. She said she jumped up and grabbed the bat and hit him with it, which caused him to lunge at her and grab her by the hair. That's when she said she grabbed the knife, and she said it's very dark in the room at that point, and Thomas must have lunged forward and into the knife, which she said was completely unintended. Jane went on to say that she wasn't actually trying to hurt him. She said she ran from the room when she realized that he'd been stabbed. Although she even had Thomas's blood on her, she claimed to not have even known how badly he was hurt. In fact, she said she thought he was going to get up and come after her, so she even tied the cord of her dressing gown to the door handle so he wasn't able to get to her. And then at 3 a.m., Jane decides to leave the house. She said that she had actually written those suicide notes that were found in the kitchen the day before because she wanted Thomas to see them. So basically, it was a coincidence that the police actually found these suicide notes after Thomas's body was discovered, and this didn't make her guilty of first-degree murder, in her opinion. She said that when she sent her ex-husband the text about having nothing to do with Thomas's death, it was because she allegedly read about it in the papers. The last thing Jane told investigators was that Thomas was physically violent with her prior to that night as well, but she did not have any documented cases of his abuse. And we're going to get back into still more of this story after one last break to hear word from this week's sponsors. We all know how to eat, right? We know our forks from our knives and our knives from our spoons. And don't even get me started on salad forks. Those are a joke. But do we know how to really eat? I'm 37 and I finally feel like I'm learning how to eat with the help of Noom. Noom is based in psychology and helps teach me how to eat so I can accomplish my personal health goals, things like feeling better and fitting into my clothes more easily, long-term. Noom knows I don't need rules to meet my goals. I just need knowledge. And Noom just asks for 10 minutes a day. That's less time than it takes to find my kids' shoes for the 10th time today. Noom knows you want to live your life, so Noom was created to work with your lifestyle. There's not some rigorous plan you need to commit to. You just need to make time for yourself and your goals. I really love that Noom doesn't talk at me, but helps teach me. Noom knows that I'm going to slip up and I'm going to be harder on myself than any program could be. With Noom, though, there's just encouragement when I go off track, and they're there to encourage me to get back on track. There's a science to getting healthier. It's called Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Learn how to eat again with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Again, sign up for Noom today at noom.com slash moms. 
Sometimes I like to treat myself with something just for me, something like matching pajamas without holes in them or Chipotle that I eat in my van so I don't have to share. But the best way to treat myself is with something I use every day, something like my third love bra. The perfect bra seems like a myth, but it's possible thanks to third love. To me, the perfect bra is one I don't even notice I have on, and third love has made that happen. With third love, I took their fitting room quiz and I found a bra that fits me, not one that I grabbed off the rack to make work. And that's because the third love fitting room quiz takes into account things like your size, your breast shape, the fit issues you're having with your current bra and your personal style to help you find the perfect bras and underwear just for you. We've had our bras for over three years now, and I love mine now more than the day I got it. And third love is so confident that you'll have an amazing experience with your bras, just like we did, that if you don't love your bra, exchanges and returns are free. Treat yourself with something that fits like it was made just for you with third love. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 20% off today. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were going over the version of events that Jane gave to the police when they caught up with her after Thomas's body was discovered. She told them that she did not intend to kill him and that it was dark that night and Thomas must have fallen into the knife because he could not see that she was holding it. In the wake of Thomas's murder, Jane was ordered to see multiple psychiatrists who she told all about her childhood and the sexual abuse that she endured. In response to these confessions, Jane's parents said that when she was a child, something was said to them and then a lock was fitted to Jane's bedroom door. In October of 2000 and in March of 2001, Jane saw a psychiatrist named Dr. Gamble. This doctor felt that she might have borderline personality disorder, but the severity of her behavior didn't justify making that an official diagnosis. 
Dr. Gamble found no evidence of mental illness, and her response to an extremely traumatic childhood event was normal in his eyes. Jane confided in Dr. Gamble that from November of 1998 on, her husband Thomas forced her into violent sexual encounters and bondage experiences that she did not really want to take part in. While seeing another psychologist, Dr. Wilde, Jane was supposed to work through and deal with, quote, the consequences of her child's sex abuse, but she didn't take well to this therapy because she was too focused on her impending trial, and she was also upset and a little concerned because she thought this was really private and she didn't think or want the details of her abuse to be made public. In early 2001, Jane saw yet another psychiatrist named Dr. Turner. She told him that Thomas's abuse towards her during their relationship knew no bounds. She said he hit her often with a long wooden clothes brush, and she alleged that he also raped her on the night of the murder. Dr. Turner diagnosed Jane as suffering from significant fluctuating depressive symptoms enhanced by hormonal issues related to her polycystic ovarian syndrome. And he felt that over the weekend that Thomas was murdered, Jane was suffering from a depressive episode and poor hormonal status. Jane's trial began in April of 2001. Every day when she attended the trial, Jane showed up dressed in complete black. The jury had to decide if Jane accidentally killed Thomas, if she killed him in self-defense, if she killed him on purpose, if she killed him after being provoked, or if Jane had a diminished responsibility for the killing. If it was found that Thomas was killed in self-defense or that his death was an accident, the jury should acquit her. If they thought she was provoked or had diminished responsibility, they could find her guilty of manslaughter. The prosecution alleged that Jane went into the bedroom while Thomas was already asleep and then hit him with a cricket bat before stabbing him, all because he had rejected her and she was angry and seeking revenge. The prosecution painted Jane as a, quote, devious social climber, end quote, who got caught up in the glam of the rich and powerful circles that she had been in. They alleged that back when Jane worked for the Duchess of York, she became infatuated with her and even started mimicking her style, her accent, and even her hair color. The prosecution alleged that Jane had lied to police and to her own psychiatrist. They found friends and ex-girlfriends of Thomas to testify for them. One former girlfriend said she couldn't believe the accusations of rape and violence and said Thomas was never violent or made any horrible or weird demands of her when they dated. Thomas's father also testified that his son was a kind and gentle man. The defense alleged that Jane was not guilty based on several reasons and factors. They say that Jane had been provoked and she acted in self-defense. They said that the only reason Jane even had the bat and knife for protection was because Thomas had raped her earlier that night. They said Thomas fell into the knife on accident because it was dark and he couldn't see and that the only reason Jane lied to police and psychiatrists was due to the immense guilt and heartbreak she felt over accidentally killing the man she loved. Jane testified in her own trial and said she was the only person who ever saw this ugly side of Thomas. On the stand, she recalled the night they returned from their trip to France and said they slept together that night. It was the following morning when she says that he raped her and the violent arguing ensued. Jane said she was gone from the house from 2 to 8 p.m. that day, and when she returned, everything was fine and calm. Then, she said, she accidentally dropped a glass and Thomas picked a fight with her over it. And that's when Jane said she tore up the photos from their vacation. That was the night that Jane brought a bat and a knife into their bedroom, with no intention of using them or killing anyone. But Jane had no explanation for certain things, like why there were pillows on Thomas's head or how she didn't even realize how badly he was hurt. 
She said by the time she left the house, she figured that he must have been dead, but that's when she panicked and took the pills, although she claims that she never did this to end her life. On May 16, 2001, after almost 12 hours of deliberation, the jury found Jane guilty of murder and she was sentenced to life in prison without parole for at least 15 years. But the story doesn't end there. Jane continued to receive psychiatric treatment following her conviction. In August of 2001, she started seeing a new doctor named Dr. Laker, and he concluded that Jane had moderately severe depressive illness and started her on treatment for it. He said that she did have borderline personality, which made her less responsible for her own actions. In the specific instance of the night of the murder, Dr. Laker suggested that Jane had armed herself with the bat and the knife instead of just leaving the house because she was desperate and afraid to be abandoned in this relationship. Later in the fall of 2001, Jane saw yet another psychiatrist named Dr. Mason. She went to three sessions with her, and this time she had a little bit of a different story, mostly the same, but she had more allegations of violence. She also told this doctor that she had been abusing alcohol, and she said that the night Thomas was killed, he was screaming things at her, such as that he was going to kill her. And Jane says that she freaked out when she realized that, you know, in this scuffle and commotion they were having, she actually did grab the bat and hit him with it. She said she kind of surprised herself by doing that. She said she recalled Thomas grabbing her by the hair, but she couldn't remember exactly when or how the stabbing happened. So Dr. Mason believed that Jane was in this very distressed and frightened state before the offense even occurred and that Thomas was being scary and provoking her to the point that Jane's, quote, perception, understanding, judgment, and will were all affected at the time of the killing to the extent that it's likely that her mental responsibility for the killing was significantly affected, end quote. Jane later appealed her sentence and alleged that there was now some new evidence of the childhood sexual abuse that she had suffered, and she believed that if the jury had heard this new information, they would have come to a different verdict. She also felt that the assessment Dr. Mason gave her would have affected the jury's opinion as well. This appeal was ultimately denied in October of 2003, and one month later, Jane attempted suicide by overdosing. In 2003, Jane spoke to The Guardian and told her story but it was definitely different than the story anyone had heard before. In this interview, Jane alleged that Thomas had abused her and left cuts and bruises on her for months. She said she didn't tell anyone because she was scared no one would believe her, and she felt ashamed. She said she felt like a failure. She said Thomas was charming to everyone else, but not to her. It was very different behind closed doors. Jane said in this interview that the decision to go to counseling together after their trip to France was due to Thomas's, quote, sexual perversions and black moods, end quote. But then the next morning, he changed his mind and told Jane that he wanted out, and that's when the arguing started. According to this interview, the relationship between herself and Thomas was very dysfunctional and full of problems. When the couple fought, it was always dirty and with low blows and immature lashing out. Jane admitted in this interview that she was being stubborn and hateful and would intentionally goad Thomas. Jane said she wanted people to understand what happened and said that she takes responsibility for Thomas's death. In 2006, Jane's sentence was reduced to life in prison without parole for 12 years because the judge said in this specific case, Jane's fear of rejection was a, quote, unusually heavy burden to bear, end quote. She was actually considered for early release multiple times, but was ultimately denied because she was deemed to be a danger to the public. In November of 2009, she was transferred to East Sutton Park Jail ahead of her possible release on parole. 
This jail is a little different. It's open and allows the prisoners to come and go on a fixed schedule. She attempted to take her own life there before she actually escaped on November 22, 2009, which is the same month that she arrived there. While she was out on the lam, she had a hard time sleeping, and allegedly, the Duchess actually called her and left her two voicemails pleading with her to turn herself in. Jane's parents and brother actually hired a taxi and said that it was for this urgent trip. This driver, a man by the name of Darren, picks them up at 8 p.m. and starts driving. At 12.30 a.m., they tell him to pull over near this graveyard, and that's when Jane, who is caked in mud, just gets into the taxi like it's no big deal and you weren't just in a graveyard covered in mud at 12.30 (laughs) in the morning. But Darren recognizes who she is, and he refuses to drive the family where they wanted to go. Instead, he drops them off at a nearby hotel, and then he calls the police to tell them where they were. Police arrive to this hotel and take Jane back to jail, and she's later sent to a more secure facility. Honestly, if I was that cab driver, I mean, I just don't even blame that guy. I, he drove those people around for a long time, and then he tried to have this, like, prison escapee get in the car. I would be like, oh, heck no. I'm taking you straight to where the police are because this is nonsense. Well, we're starting <laughs> We're starting at an ATM so you can give me my money, and then I'll bring yeah. you to the police. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. So in 2015, Jane was actually released on parole, but she was brought back after she broke the terms by harassing a married man. No action was taken against her for this, and she was fully freed in 2019. She actually got a job at a grocery store and has been working there this entire time, throughout the pandemic and currently. Wow, this was such a crazy story, and it just had like, it was all over the place. There was all kinds of stuff in this one. Yeah, really. And it is interesting how her story kind of changed throughout. And, you know, it, it's interesting to me that the judge said basically that her fear of rejection rejection was so big or, you know, caused by so many things that like her sentence was reduced and changed. I don't think I've ever heard of that being a reason Not for, for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's pretty interesting. And of course, in a trial, there's a lot more that goes into it than even what we have, of course, but it, that is just an interesting tidbit that I don't think I've ever heard. Yeah, no, it's definitely really interesting. And I feel like, I don't, I don't know, you know, what I think really happened, but I feel like she, towards the end, when she was talking about how they just had a very dysfunctional relationship and like their fights were just out of control. I feel like I can totally see that and how yeah. like, that whenever you have that kind of volatile relationship, I can see how things can escalate Escalate. really quickly Mm -hmm. in a situation like that. And so I think that is what I think it really is that simple that they just fought all the time. And they had, you know, messy fights that were not pleasant. And in this case, I think things just went too far. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm I do think she belongs in prison. I am surprised that her sentence was reduced based on that reason. Right. But, um, yeah, it's a really sad story, though, because it, it, Jane sounds like she's just had a really hard, you know, a hard life the entire time. Right. Of course. And then Thomas loses his life in this whole situation. It's just really sad all the way right. around. Yeah. OK, Melissa, we're going to move on. Turn the page rather to our last thing before we go this week. And I'm excited for you to explain what exactly we're doing. (laughs) I need to write this down when I do this. Okay, guys, whenever you're listening to this, it's May. As some people might say, it's gonna be May. And so we decided, and by (laughs) we decided, I mean, I said, Mandy, this is my idea. What do you think? Um, We are doing Justin Timberlake-based things. Uh, Not really. Mandy's got NSYNC lyrics. I've got um, lyrics from Justin Timberlake's solo stuff. Just doing fill-in-the-blank lyrics. 
There's no rhyme or yeah. real reason to this. It's a little it's quiz. Just silly. It's a little quiz. What lyrics do we know or not know? Send us ideas because this is what we're coming up with at this point. These are the ideas that come to my head. Send us simple ideas that are fill in the blanks and stuff like that. If it involves a thousand things of research, we probably can't do it. But I love the ideas. Just please send them. Otherwise, I don't know what we're going to do in June. Is there a song by Shakira for June? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Mandy, do you want to kick it off? Yes. Okay, I will. All right. So let's see. We'll start with this one. Okay, here's my first one. I'm doing this tonight. You're probably gonna start a fight. (laughs) What song is that from, Melissa? Um, Ah, uh, baby, come on. Um, <laughs> Just keep singing it. <laughs> and I only know every. Uh, I know that I could take it more. T- bye, bye, bye. <laughs> wow, yes. that, that took you a while out, to get there. Turns yeah. out there's a lot of verses there, a lot of words there. Okay, <laughs> all right. So here's a Jay Timberlake song. Cause with your blank in my blank and a pocket full of soul, I can tell you there's no place we couldn't go. So with your, because with your blank in my blank and a pocket full of soul, I can tell you there's no place we couldn't go. With your hand? In my hand. Yeah, I thought I could trick you there, but you got it. <laughs> that is from Mirror. Yes. Yeah, I, that, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot going on with that song, but yes, that is a song that exists. Okay, Mandy, next one. Perfect. All right. Um, okay. Baby, I remember the way you used to look at me and say blank. Dun, 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 dun. Forever. Yep. yep yeah. That's it. That's all I got. I just got forever. Yeah. And I can't Promises believe Promises never last forever. <laughs> I kind of committed to singing that and I now want to die. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I don't. Uh, you're all I ever wanted. I got it. Yes. yes. Okay. I love that song. It's one that of my one is good. Yes, it is. Um, oh, so I played in sync on the way back from the beach with my daughter and I like, I don't like to be bored in the car. And if I'm driving, I want to sing. And so I just play. Let me guess. She hated it. Hated it. And then, (laughs) but worse than that. Well, no, she liked it. Okay. But then she was like, I have a headache. And oh no. Okay. Yeah. So then the rest of the way, she's like, it's getting worse. I had a Hootie and the Blowfish on. So I was like, we have to let me finish the song. And so I listened to the rest of a Hootie and the Blowfish song. And then I had to drive for 20 miles with no music or anything. Oh no. It was horrific. (laughs) So yeah. So that's, that's a little hard for me. Okay. So my next one, you were my blank. Woo. You were my blank. Uh Uh-oh. Or uh uh-huh. And at one point they just say G unit. (laughs) <laughs> you were my blank and you were my blank you Son? don't have to say yes oh oh no you oh. were right you got it i'm just singing the song you were oh, my son well, i was right yeah You're you my were son. my moon <laughs> <laughs> stars oh gosh <laughs> try the other one where do we live <laughs> oh, earth <laughs> there you go <laughs> and then my just world. yell g units you know you got it with earth that's oh, from okay. Crime You're my River. son and you're my earth? That's the lyrics? You are my son. Woo! You are my earth. Uh-huh. But you didn't know all the ways <laughs> I love you. No. G-g-g-g unit. I must have pulled this from a remix. <laughs> I think you did. I've never heard that. I don't remember G unit being a part of that song. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. This is another easy one. You'll get this one. All right. So sick and tired of hearing all these people talk about what's the deal with this pop, pop life? life. And when's it going to fade out? <laughs> 
I just picked ones to intentionally hear you sing the end of Dang it. <laughs> Don't say that to me. I'm using my my uh my boy band voice on this holy mother's day. Okay. Here's my last one. You deserve to get blank, been blanking hard all week. You deserve to get blank. Careful. Um, I don't know. Okay, what's the opposite of up? Down. You deserve to get down. Down. Been blanking hard all week. Working. Just trying to make your money. Girl, go on and shake your booty. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. That's a real song. The McDonald's song is actually a song. I do not believe that. I have to look that up. Please Google that. And it's a JT song. Yeah, I think it was only for McDonald's, if we're being honest. But um, yeah, I came across it. I thought it was just the ba-da-ba-ba-ba, but they were like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to write an entire song about shaking booty and working to get down or something. I don't know. (laughs) Well, that is very exciting. Okay, here's my last one. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Baby, when you finally get to love somebody, guess what? Oh. (laughs) It's already May. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, We did it, Mandy. I'm I'm sad that that karaoke is over. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to edit this and hear this and think, why would you do this to yourself, Melissa? You knew you were going to have to hear this. It'll be fun. Yeah, this was your idea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Can't wait to get to that part, too, and hear myself say it's my own idea. Perfect. So we're all done for this week. If you haven't checked out before, check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. We don't really promote that that much, but you can get early episodes ad free. Um, We also do bonus episodes every month and there's fun stuff there. If you listen to our ads, check out our sponsors. It's why we can make a show. It's amazing. And they're so good. And we hope you guys will check those out. Criminality, the other show I do, has a new episode on Nicole Richie. I think that's all of our announcements. Uh, So check that out if you want to. And then, yeah, that's it. Mandy, get me out of here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and one last thing. Um, We have not really talked about this either, but um, if you haven't reviewed the show on iTunes or anywhere, um, that's so helpful to us whenever you do submit a review. It just kind of helps with the algorithms and who gets to see our show and find it for the first time. And I know we've had a lot of new listeners coming on recently. We've been getting people saying they've just found the show recently and have been listening. So yeah, if you want to um, take a little time and give us a review, that would be awesome. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate all of our reviews and um yes yeah we don't do a great job of selling ourselves at the end of the show so if you hear it today you probably won't hear it for another few months so just take the time to (laughs) listen to our call of action call to action today because we won't do it to you for a while yeah perfect all right guys we will see you back next week same time same place new story have a great week hello did you say bye or did i Uh -uh, you say bye have a great week oh (laughs) bye Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.